Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I want to tell you a Senegal story that leads into where we're going. Um, it was my second trip. I've been there three times now. In my second trip to Senegal, we arrived as we're um, taking the bush taxi um, from the city into the village. Uh, into the bush toward the village, uh, we're told the village is really excited to see you. They've, they've set up a party. Um, and so when you arrive, there's going to be dancing, there's going to be music. They had rented a generator. They had actually rented a fence. So it was like almost like an arena type of atmosphere. And we showed up late, which doesn't mean anything in Senegal because they're not time-based, they're event-based. We showed up and they said, okay, the best way for us to enter with all the music going on and everything, everything, all the excitement here, the best way for us to enter is to enter the arena dancing. Oh, goodness gracious. That is not, not what a group of white people are good at. And we looked at each other and the best idea, Alexis is, she's bragging, the best idea that we could come up with the best idea that we could come up with was, let's do a conga line. That was the worst idea we could come up with. So, it was, we entered this, it is forever etched in my brain as an ongoing nightmare. We entered this with all the music and all the drums pounding and the women in all their colorful attire and they're pounding the sand as they dance. And we enter like, ha, da, 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 ha, Oh, goodness gracious, we don't know what we're doing. It's mortifying for me. And so this last time where we just went, we did church service, and following church service, they did this baptismal party where 11 people were getting baptized. And the women were up with the drums going. It's really incredible. The drums and guitar, and they had rented a generator again, and they were playing guitar, and they were singing. And the women would get up, and they were dancing. And they had this scarf that they would throw to someone, to a friend who's sitting, like people are sitting here and they're dancing out in front and they would throw the scarf to their friend to say, come friend, come and dance with us. And Julie from West is, I'm sitting right next to her. And I said, actually what I learned last time is men don't really dance. Um, Men in the culture are more uh, dignified, it, like undignified for a man to dance. And so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. But if the, if the scarf lands on you, Julie, have at it. She said, you don't like to dance? <laughs> like, oh, no. That is about the most mortifying thing that can happen to me as the scarf lands on my shoulder. <laughs> oh, goodness. And I have this moment where I have to decide... Do I like slip it off real quick onto Julie and act like it never, but they know that was given to me. Do I like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And I I violate culture and the invitation. And like, why are you not celebrating with us? People are getting baptized. You don't like this? Like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to dance. And so I did. And it was not good. And it was not pretty. And I embarrassed myself. Not fully because I can't admit that I was fully engaged with it, like going all out. Um, There was some desire for dignity left in me, but I got up. Alexis is going to go sometime and show him how it's done. 
Have you ever had a moment where fear runs through your body? Where you can feel it? Where it's like, I feel so mortified in this moment. I don't know what's coming yet. I know that I'm walking into embarrassment. Or I know that I'm walking into struggle. In Senegal, I had that moment like, it just came. And fear and horror and all of that just kind of surged through me. That's funny. That's hilarious. That doesn't really matter in the course of my life, right? I mean, it scars, but it's not like that. There are other times where it's not as funny, where fear or struggle hit you, and you don't want to laugh at it, where laughter is the furthest thing from you, and crisis comes your way, struggle comes your way. And what, how do I step into this? What do I do with this? We're going to talk about struggle today. Paul is writing, as we continue on in Colossians, Paul's writing from prison. And he's writing to this group of Christians in the, in the town of Colossae, to whom he's never met, whom, for whom he cares a great deal. And uh, he keeps on encouraging them. So we've just come out of a section where he's talking all about Jesus and he's lifting Jesus high. And for Paul, Jesus is greater than anything. Any, any identity would come up for ourselves, any plan, any accolade, attaboy, girl, anything that we could come up with or philosophy that we could think through. Paul says Jesus is greater than all of it. And now that's the end of chapter 1, and he smoothly transitions then into chapter 2, and he starts with struggle. So we're going to read the first five verses of chapter 2, and then I want to talk about, I want to talk about struggle uh, in, in the humorous and in the anything but humorous. Paul writes in Colossians 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for all those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul says, I am struggling. Now we can really quickly make this a spiritual deal. Like I'm struggling for you. I want you to know Jesus. I'm like, I'm putting great effort into that. I think that's certainly true. But I don't want, I don't want to skip over this simple statement where Paul says, I am struggling. If we get personal, if we get down into the dirt with where Paul is, he is in a prison cell. He's writing from a dirty, dark prison cell. And that, to me, changes the way that I read, I am struggling. My guess is that part of Paul's prayer is, God, would you set me free? God, I don't, God, I, I want to go to Colossae. He says, you, 
We haven't seen each other face to face. And there's, I think there's pain and there's struggle in that. I want to see you. God, would you set me free? Let me go do your work. Let me go. And uh, God is not answering. Not that specific prayer, at least. The word that Paul uses and other translations uh, get a little bit closer than struggle. The word that Paul uses is this word agon, which sounds like what word in our vocabulary? Agony. It's agony. So this isn't just like struggle, like I'm having a bad day. Can somebody send me a card? This is like, I am in agony here in prison. It's for you, but part of it is because I'm not with you, and I want to be, and I don't like where I am. What do you do? What do you do when you're in agony, and God God isn't seemingly answering? Like, the Bible is full of that. If you look back in the Old Testament, Habakkuk, Habakkuk starts his little three-chapter book crying out to God. Habakkuk actually says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk Habakkuk is struggling. He looks around him and everything that is going wrong, and he's saying, God, violence is happening right in front of me, and you're doing nothing. How long do I have to cry out to you? And, I, and you just, you, you're silent. You're silent. There's a movie uh, called Silence that just went from the screen onto streaming. is going to be coming out on DVD called Silence. And it's from a book, the most famous novel that's come out of Japan. And it's about Japanese missionaries, or it's missionaries to Japan and the persecution that they encounter. And, and silence is all about, God, where are you in this? Why are you not doing anything? You look into the New Testament and John the Baptist or John the Baptizer is arrested and he's put in prison. And what does he, he sends message to Jesus and he says, he has this question like, are you the one that we're waiting for? Are, are you the one? Because I'm here and I'm stuck in prison. Should I be looking for somebody else? Because God is not answering my prayer. And Jesus has this kind of indirect, I don't, necessarily have good news for you John but I want you to ask what you've been seeing and I I want you to look at the evidence people are finding healing Uh, life is coming back I want you to look at the evidence and Jesus is who God is sending but that doesn't necessarily meet John where he's at and answer his problems I mean Jesus himself in the garden the night the night that he's arrested, Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He says, remain here and watch with me. Like he's calling to his friend saying, I feel I'm in such agony. Would you be here with me? And they fall asleep. And he says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, Let this cup pass from me. We don't read that very often. That Jesus 
Jesus, the night that he's arrested, right before his arrest, is talking with the Father, and he says, if there's another way, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this if I don't have to do this. It's not like this is fun. It's not like this is like, hey, this would make a really cool story. People will get motivated by that. If, if I don't have to do this, I don't want to. Could you make another way? And the Father doesn't answer that prayer. And Jesus said, nevertheless, not as I will, not as I want, not as I would make happen in this moment, but, Father, as you do, as you will. And he's submitting to something that is beyond his agony. They say, there's more to it than just my agony. You likely know your own struggle. You are either in struggle right now, or you have been there, or you will be there. Agony doesn't miss any of us. Struggle doesn't miss any of us. And you know, you know the pain of embarrassment. You know the loss of a family member or friend or miscarriage. Or maybe you've had an abortion and that haunts you. Maybe your job situation is falling apart or just hasn't been there for a long time. You have a sick kid who is taking a lot longer to get better than you would want. Like, agony strikes all of us individually. And whatever it is, from addiction to death, we all walk through it. What do you do with that? Habakkuk and Jesus, at least, because we're not told the whole story with John, Habakkuk finishes his book in this remarkable way. And he says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go on the high places and nothing has changed. Like Habakkuk says, nothing has changed, but God has given me strength. He transforms me. And so rather than, rather than struggling, he's at the feet of a deer, which is a bounding metaphor to be able to move around and dance with ease. As so I can, I can, I can fly over walls. Like, I've, have you ever seen a deer jump over a five-foot wall? It's crazy how that, it's like no effort goes into it. And Habakkuk says, you enable me to go on the heights, places that I never dreamed that I could go. And nothing has changed in his circumstances. Jesus says, and yet, not as I would have it, but Father, as you do it. And so the application that I would say first is know, know that God loves you. Know that God is there with you. That, that your struggle, that your agony doesn't separate you from God. It doesn't push you away. And he doesn't use struggle to push us away from him. God is there with us in the struggle. In the Old Testament, one of God's names was the God who sees. And it, it was given to God by a woman who was not being treated well who had a hard path in life, gives birth to a son that will never see his, his father's full blessing. 
And yet she calls on the God who sees her in that moment. We serve a God who doesn't fix everything right now. We walk with a God who doesn't make everything clean and pretty and smooth and yet is with us, is with us. And for those in Christ, we look forward to a day when he does make everything smooth, when the world is remade and we're remade and our relationships are remade and everything is reconciled. And yet right now, even if nothing changes, we have a God who walks with us. You have a God who adores you, who is present with you. And we have a choice in agony to push him away or to let him be with us. Paul says, I'm struggling. And he says, my struggle is that it's for you who I haven't seen face to face. Even in his own struggle, he's looking out. Even in his own struggle, sometimes it has this way of closing in on us. So all we see is us, and all we see is our struggle. And his struggle gets beyond him. And even though he's in prison, he says, my struggle is for you, who we haven't seen face to face, and I want these things for you. And he paints two different pictures of what he wants for the church at Colossae. First, he says that uh, for Laodicea and Colossae, which are... Two cities in the same general area. Paul is saying, this is what I want for them and for you. He says, I want, the, I want your hearts to be encouraged. And so we think, of, we think of heart is the emotional center of who we are. They had a much bigger picture of what the heart was. That the heart was the emotional center, the center of the will, the center of the intellect. That it was the very core of who they are. So he's saying, at the very core of who you are, I want you to be encouraged. That doesn't mean I want you to feel good, though that may be part of it. So I want you to have courage. I want you to have an infusement of courage. I want courage blown into you. At the very core of who you are, I want you to be brave. And it means something that he's writing this from prison, right? That he's not writing it from his vacation. Be brave. I'm going to chill. He's writing it in the struggle, and he says, I want you to be brave. What is God calling you to step into? Sometimes I think we get moments where God moves or stirs us, and he says, I, you need to walk into this. You need to be brave. And that doesn't mean that you need to feel good about it. It means you need to step in. Like Dan and Amy saying, this is the step that we're going to take right now. The big picture could be overwhelming. Right now, we're going to take this next step. What is your next step? Paul would want for you, and I would want for you, I think God wants for you, courage, bravery, that says, it doesn't mean I don't have to fear or that I have to not fear. It means I have to not let fear win. It means I have to keep stepping forward even if, even if I have fear. That's courage. Or here's another twist on the idea. To, for whom could you model courage? Who in your life needs courage? And you have an opportunity to breathe into them. To say, be brave. 
Be brave. Step into this. Don't shrink back into the shadows. Don't let fear win. I want you to live that yourself. And I want you to be the kind of person that can breathe that into somebody else. That you could give them, that you could give them encouragement in the deepest part of who they are. Paul says, I want them to be encouraged, that their hearts may be encouraged. And then he has this other picture. He says, knit together in love. Knit together in love. And it's a metaphor for unity. Like, so connected, so united, that they look like, that y'all look like one big blanket. <laughs> it's cozy in there. And I want you to be knit together. I want you to be united. And he says, in love, and the word that he uses is agape, which is God's love. This is a love not deserved. This is a love because of the giver, not because of the merit or someone earning it. I want you to be knit together in a way that you fight for each other, in a way that you give to each other, in a way that you will not let another person fall if you have anything to do with it. I want you to be united this is so relevant for us today and here in, at Damascus Road because division is easy. Life pulls you apart and stuff happens and relationships get pulled apart. And here in the church, we can even have stuff happen that pulls us apart. And Paul says, I want you to be united in love. I want you to fight for unity. And we need to hear that. As a church going forward, we can fall apart. Gravity, gravity will naturally pull us apart. Unity is not assumed. We need to fight for unity. That means when we disagree, because we will disagree, and when we have different opinions on things, those, those things are not as important as us being together. And we fight for unity, that in Christ there are some things that we hold that we would die for. And we will not give up on those things. And who Jesus is, and Jesus alone, and the power we find in him alone. And then there are other things that we hold much more open-handedly. And where we disagree on these, we say we fight for unity. We will not let that rip us apart. You may have relationships right now that are broken or that you feel a tension and you feel like it's being pulled apart and gravity is taking over. And I will tell you, if you don't step in and do something, gravity wins every time. To defy gravity takes great effort. And you have to decide whether you will be a person who will fall with the pull or if you will fight for reconciliation for unity to stand together Paul says I want you to have encouragement to be courageous and I want you to be united and these two add up he says to riches what kind of riches he said I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The full assurance, understanding, knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
for Paul, everything leads to Jesus. I want you to have encouragement and I want you to have unity so that you can grasp the riches that is Jesus. So that you can grasp the riches. That is to say, if you're discouraged or if you're living in fear or if you're living divided, you miss Jesus. Paul says, I want these things for you so that you can take hold of the riches, which is Jesus. For Paul, for Paul, Jesus is the source of all riches and all treasure. Jesus is the source of any understanding of knowledge and wisdom that is worth having. Paul says, I want that for you. I want you to take hold of Christ. What is that? I mean, there's a reason that John 3.16 is maybe the most famous verse in the Bible because in a single verse, it, it kind of grabs who Jesus is. For God so loved, and we have a God who so loves that he sent Jesus. That whoever believes in him gets to live, gets to really and truly live. That's what Paul wants us to know. Paul wants us to know the God who loves us, who, who sent Jesus so that we could really live and set down striving and set down the messes we've made and the struggle we're in and the agony that we're in till we set that down and to stop living in a spiritual poverty. Paul wants the riches flowing that is Jesus. Where is Jesus in your life? Paul, over and over and over again through the book of Colossians, will put Jesus in the category of greater than. Greater than. Run, run to Jesus, who is greater than, who is the source of everything that you want. Find your riches in him. And so I want to show you this Dave, if you could bring this first one up. There is a dance that Paul does in this section in Colossians 2, 1 through 4. Paul talks about the struggle that he's in. And so he, he starts it by talking about his own struggle. And then he goes on to the next slide. He says, my struggle is that we're not face to face. I'm in prison. You're where you are. We're not face to face. And he goes on and he says, what I want for you what I want for you is to be encouraged and I want you to be united so that, the next one, so that you can have the riches, which is the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Jesus, Jesus Christ. And there is a progression here. Paul is sliding down the way to say, I'm, there is struggle and yet I want you to be I want you to be encouraged and united so that you can have the riches, which is Jesus. And now, this is really cool, I think. Maybe, maybe you just need to meet me in my nerdiness right now. This is really cool what Paul does. Paul starts to work backward in these four verses. So he goes on. The next one is, because I want you to have the treasures and uh, the wisdom and the knowledge. He says there, he says, uh, I want you to reach the full Riches or the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, I say this 
so that, so that you won't be deluded. Or um, some people will say that you won't be deceived. Other translations use it that way. And these things start to line up. So Paul has said, everything points to Christ. I want you to have riches, and I want you to have the treasure which is found in Jesus. I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to be united so that you won't be deceived, so that you won't get taken off track. Because let's face it, when we don't have courage and when we're divided, it's so easy to get led astray. It's so easy to go down the wrong path. And he says, I want you to have those things so that you won't be deluded. And then he goes on and he says, for though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit. And so you see this happening, this kind of um, dance that he's doing. We're not face to face, we're absent in body, and yet I'm with you in spirit. Which could be just like, my heart is with you, though we're not together. But I think there's also this play of the Holy Spirit, though we are not present together, the Holy Spirit is present with all of us right now. And he is working, and it doesn't matter if I'm in prison and you're over here, the Holy Spirit is with you. I'm with you in that spirit. I'm still with you. And I'll tell you, last night, as I was uh, seeing this and putting together, I had my earbuds in and music cranking, and so I'm kind of oblivious to the outside world. And I say, okay, so there's struggle, not face-to-face. He wants them encouraged and united so they can have riches, which is Christ, who has all the treasure, and he wants them encouraged and united so they won't be deluded. And Paul wants to... uh, be absent in body and with you in spirit. And I think I'm done. Like, wow, this is so incredible. And I said, but what about struggle? Struggle, Struggle's just kind of hanging out there. I'm like, what? I wonder if struggle has a counterpart. I wonder if Paul uh, keeps dancing. And <laughs> when I saw it, I shrieked or gasped or something. And so Leslie and Megan, who are sitting in the living room, look up and are you okay? You just, What? I, oh, I'm sorry. No, I just saw something really cool. I'm like, all right, you scared us. That's, look what Paul says. Though absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing. And I don't think that's, a, I don't think that's an accident. Paul starts with struggle, and he works forward, and then he comes back, and he says, my struggle, and yet I'm rejoicing. And I, I'm amazed by it. Paul says, this is not enough to keep joy from me. This is not enough to keep joy from me. That my struggle leads to rejoicing. And he says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So all of these things that I have prayed for you, all of these things that I'm currently praying for you and struggling for you and we can't be together but I want this for you he says I get to hear about it and I I get to see I get to see your good order some other translations say your discipline it's the way you're walking out your life in Christ so that he says you don't just know it you're living it in my struggle though we're not here together I get to rejoice because you are walking it out you are living it 
I love that. And then he says, he says, and your firmness, that your firmness in faith, they say you're walking it out and you're strong. You're walking it out and you're not going to get knocked off. You're not going to get knocked off. And so I keep praying these things because we should never assume that we're good, that we're like we're all good and we don't need any more of God's presence or his help. I'm praying these things and at the same time, I'm seeing it true in your life. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance needs to run its course so that you can be mature, not lacking anything. That there is this weird relationship between joy and struggle. That struggle can lead to greater maturity. That struggle can actually lead to greater strength. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive uh, fail and the fields yield no food the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls he's saying everything is going bad though everything is going bad yet i will rejoice in the lord i will take joy in the god of my salvation god the lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of the deer he makes me tread on my high places even jesus in the garden he falls and he says, Father, if there's another way, let it be. Hebrews 12, 2 describes Jesus saying, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Struggle can isolate us or it can bring us together. Vulnerability and love are so important in community. I saw it happen this week. Or somebody's walking through really hard, embarrassing, mortifying stuff. It could have been received that way. And this person opened up to community and got to be prayed over. And to see the relationship and the unity and the, the, the relationship actually grew because of vulnerability. So what is meant to embarrass us or make us cave in and divide ourselves and make us hide away from everybody else is an opportunity to enter into greater community. Paul, sees, Paul says, I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I love that you get to walk it out and that you won't uh, fall away. In Senegal, the scarf landed on me. And I have this moment of agony where fear races for me. And rather than kind of shrinking back in that moment, like I'm going to get up and dance. And I got up and danced, sort of. <laughs> they dance for joy. The 11 people got baptized. The people were giving their lives to Christ and even though I'll never be the best dancer in any group I'm in, my struggle gave way to joy in that moment. I, I can endure this little bitty thing. But where are you today? When struggle comes, whether you're dancing now or you're in the deep now, trust the God who loves you, 
who is with you. That you would run to Jesus for all of your wisdom, all of your knowledge, all of your understanding. That you would, that you would find bravery and unity in God's body here. That you won't be deceived. That you won't be deluded. But you will have a community of people in vulnerability to lean on. Be a person who fights for unity. And watch your struggle turn to joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to look at Paul's struggle, to be able to look at Habakkuk's struggle, to be able to look at John's and even Jesus' struggle and realize we're not alone. And realize it, struggle and agony by itself doesn't mean we messed up. The often, often it can, but it doesn't mean that you've pulled away from us. Help us to be people who in the struggle receive you there, recognize you there, and trust you there. Would you use our struggle? Help us to be brave. Help us to fight for unity. Use our struggle in a way that we grow, that joy grows out of it. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.